Great Expectations, the personal finance podcast. Mortgages, savings, pensions and more with Nick Coffer and Rory Joseph. So Rory, it's my job to know where to start. I've got no idea where to start today. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good starting point. <laughs> I, let, 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 let me just set the context a little bit. Yes. You are so busy at the moment, we're not even in a studio. We're in your office because you don't even have time to come out to a studio. I know, that, that, I know. That's how busy you are. Secondly, I do want to say that it is Wednesday, the 26th of October. We're recording this at, what, half past four. Yeah. I'm saying that because things might change by half past five or by tomorrow morning. Serious point, you're going to give advice. And the reality is that is a a moving feast that tomorrow or next week could be different. So just so you know, uh, Rishi Sunak has just done his first PMQs. We're day one of of his premiership. And that is when we're recording this podcast. I think it's really important to say that. Also, you and I go back a long way. We were on the BBC together for many years. And you often tried to, I think, make finance fun. Uh, failed miserably. But, <laughs> it was but, a big ass. Yeah, try tried to make finance fun. Tried to try to, you know, lighten it up a little bit, make it attractive. Um, look at the lighter side. There is nothing light right now. This is this is as serious as it gets. Um, we and I include myself in this are facing crippling mortgage costs. Uh, there are threats to pensions. There is a morass of information that is really, really hard to follow. No one really knows where this is going. So I figured that for this uh, uh, episode of this podcast, rather than obviously making light, we can do the other thing you always did when we were on the BBC together, which is reassure. I think if we can get to the end of this with some kind of reassurance, we'll have done our job today. And the way I propose doing this, bear with me as I suggest this, is that we look at this from, in effect, the perspective of five people. Someone who is looking to buy for the first time. Uh, only this morning there was a report that is it banks have pulled sixty percent of their of their of their first time buyer mortgages. So someone looking to buy for the first time, someone with an existing mortgage which is due up soon. We'll spend most of the podcast talking about that because that's my situation. So I'm going <laughs> to uh, no, but you know my situation. My, my mortgage is up next summer, and I think a lot of people is it five million people next year will, will will be in that position. Then someone with an existing mortgage which is not due up. For a while. Do you sit tight? Do you you move? What do you do? People with funds invested in pensions, because that was pretty scary two weeks ago when reports were that there was a risk of a run on pensions. And we'll have a quick look at savers because there's got to be a flip side. It's got to be good for someone. Um, You know, should should you now be putting your money to one side? You okay with that? We'll we'll look at it from those five perspectives. Before we do that, in a nutshell, why has this all happened? And, and I've heard so many different variants of it. You're an experienced person in this market. What, why are we at where we are at today? It's a monstrous nutshell, sadly. I mean, I think we've got a combination of lots of slightly unforeseen events. So number one, the mortgage market has been exceptionally busy this year. So consequently, most lenders hit their target for the year in the summer. So as of the summer, to a great extent, one of the top three lenders said to me last week, I kind of wish we could have just switched things off as of August. Job done. Job done. Don't want to lend anymore. Cancel everything. Walk away from current applications. Done. So that's one issue, okay? Why had they hit those targets so early in the year? Because it's busy. 
because it's busy, because a lot of people are on two-year fixed interest rates. A lot of people have been doing refinancing. A lot of people were moving house because of, I guess, because of COVID, perhaps opening the country up a bit more geographically, you know, commuting times and stuff are less of a worry. Or refinancing because they were building their fourth bedroom as a study in the garden or whatever it may have been. Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, I've spent two years looking at these walls. I want them to look a bit nicer. Um, There were lots and lots of reasons. I think there were lots of people who moved house. There was obviously the stamp duty holiday that stimulated people to want to move. We've also seen a slight pulling away from buy to let, possibly more of that later. So consequently, we've got fewer rental properties. So people thinking, well, maybe I should buy then. And also, of course, we've had people living at home with mum and dad, perhaps for longer than they wanted. And mum and dad saying, if we give you some help, please, can you move out? So there's that. Why did this all swing on the day of that mini budget? You know, we're learning, lay people like myself are learning about government yields and long-term borrowing and stuff that we should never even have to have worried about. So I think it didn't. I think it started in August, maybe September, because that's when we started. If you have a look at rate graphs, that's when they started going up. The big problem that we had is... So it's a combination of the banks have lent what they want to lend. They don't want to lend anymore. Okay. So if they're going to lend, they want it to be jolly profitable. Are they literally crossing their arms going, do you know what? We don't need this. Well, no, I'd say they were crossing their arms and saying, hey, hey, let's stick another 1% on, see if people will still keep borrowing. Oh, they are. Let's go again. So we've got that, uh, which is basically greed, effectively. We've got the fact that most of the banks and building societies and conveyances and all those people are woefully understaffed because many of them got rid of staff during the pandemic and haven't been able to replace those people. You know, there's, uh, we keep talking about the the heavy kind of uh, increase in employment. We've got very little unemployment. And also most people have now got the option of doing things like working from home. So consequently, the prospect of going working in a call centre, which may not be the most appealing environment, in an environment where you can probably get paid as much out doing something else anyway, they can't hire. So we've had some really major issues in the housing market. I think, you know, go back two years, it was not unrealistic to say you'd get a mortgage in three weeks of applying. It was not unrealistic to say you could move into a house within eight weeks of starting the process. I did it. Uh, exactly. I did it with you. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a great advisor. However, in all seriousness, it's 12 to 16 weeks now, that process. So forget your, forget your four or eight weeks. And, you know, we've got situations where we've got mortgages that have been taking six or seven months to go through. And, you know, you've got local authorities who aren't able to provide searches sometimes for 10 weeks. You know, it's it's a nightmare. So the, the system is broken, basically. And it was rumbling before the mini budget. Yes, it was. Then what we've also got is we've got the mini budget causing basically panic. I think we've got um, to point the finger a little bit in the media because everyone loves a bad news story. So all we get is bad news stories. You know, one thing I read this morning was about the house price crashing. Okay, now, as far as I can see, most people are saying that house prices might go down up to 10 percent, which is exactly what they went up by over the course of 2022. So what we're actually looking at is house prices staying stationary for a 12-month period. But let's call it a house price crash because it sounds better. But it's not the concern that if that continues to go in that direction, 10% a year, then we could have a crash. Well, of course we could. But then if you talk to any local estate agent, I get to talk to a few, they're all saying, I've got nothing on the market. I've got no stock. I've got nothing. So yes, I have fewer buyers, but I've got massively less stock. 
And what does that do? Normally makes prices go up. What we are now seeing, though, is because of all this negative sentiment, people are perhaps making offers. So here you go. Long answer to a short question. So I think it's a combination of things. I think we've had swap rates going up. So swap rates are the price at which banks buy money, okay? So banks buy money at one rate, lend it out at another. That's their profit margin. And those rates have been all over the place. But more to the point is they've been volatile. So banks consequently are having to put a lot of extra resource into product design. Historically, you bring out a product, you sit on it for six weeks, lend on it, and then you go again. At the moment, sometimes that's been taking under 24 hours. We've had lenders bring out one product in the morning, withdraw at lunchtime, bring out another product that afternoon and withdraw that evening and that takes up a lot of resource so i think it's a combination we've got that we've got the bank of england rate going up and we've got worries about the wider economy so if you're a lender and you're worried people can't afford to pay your mortgages then you're going to put in more profit margin for yourselves because that will then guard you against those people who can't pay and so here we are mortgage rates on the steep rise. My, my current mortgage rate is, I think, 2%. Uh, it's up next year. Let's start with someone who was really looking to buy their, their first house. Uh, they've saved up diligently. They've, they've, they've got a buffer of a, of a semi-decent deposit. Um, they were ready to go this year. They thought they'd be getting a mortgage around the, the 2 percent 2 and that's not going to happen. Banks, as we mentioned earlier, are withdrawing a significant number of their deals for first-time buyers. What do you do as a first-time buyer today? So there's going to be a theme to today, and it's going to be a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy theme, if any listeners are old enough to remember that. So there's a book on the front that said, don't panic in glowing letters. And that's pretty much where we are. Isn't that to your advantage, though, to say that? Not really, because I'd say panic, come and, come and see me tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm saying, actually, don't panic, take your time. So if we look at housing market, where pretty much prices are going to be unchanged for a bit, number one. If we're looking at a housing market where mortgage rates have started very, very slightly to come down, that is the uh, the Rishi Hunt effect. So they've started to come down, but from a much higher point than they were. They have. So I think what we have, hopefully, hopefully, is some stability. We've got a prime minister who used to work in the city. The city likes that. We've got a chancellor who is possibly not massively dynamic, but is a safe pair of hands. And likewise, we've got a prime minister with city background who's a safe pair of hands. They've both kind of come into power on the on the grounds that they're going to calm stuff down a bit. And that's what we need because what we've had is too much volatility. So what are we looking at? That first time buyer who comes to you today or perhaps in two months time, what are they looking at? So I think the first thing to say is mortgage rates were, let's say 2% quite easily, two, two and a bit. And now maybe you're looking at five and a bit to six. Which is a massive jump. It is, but for one fact. And the fact is that 90 something percent of first time buyers take a repayment mortgage, so a capital and interest mortgage, which means that only part of the payment that is impacted by changing the interest rate is the interest bit. And on a normal 25-year payment mortgage, that's only about 20% of your payment. So if you pay £1,000 a month and the interest rate doubles or trebles, it's only going to affect £200 of it, which might go to £400. Now, an extra £200 isn't great. No one wants to have to find an extra £200. But unlike some reports, it's not your mortgage payment that's doubling or trebling. It's the interest bit of it. What about if you were looking to get an interest-only mortgage? Say you had borrowed £200,000, you were paying 2%, which was £4,000 a year, correct me if I'm wrong. If that then goes up to 5%, you're then paying 
10,000 pounds a year. So you're actually adding uh, six grand, which is the best part of 500 pound a month. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to say is, A, first-time buyers don't, 90-something percent of them don't take interest-only mortgages because to get an interest-only mortgage, generally speaking, you have to have at least £300,000 equity in your property. So most first-time buyers aren't lucky enough to put down £300,000. Secondly, most lenders now have a minimum salary for you to have an interest-only mortgage, and many first-time buyers don't hit that salary mark. So the people, in a sense, who are being most badly affected by what's happened to mortgages is, yes, the odd residential interest-only mortgage holder. There are some. One could argue, though, for the past 15 years, they've had a lovely time of it paying virtually nothing. Um, but the big people who impacted generally are, int- are landlords because buy-to-lets tend, tend to be interest-only mortgages. No one weeps too much over landlords until we sell the property and you have to try and rent from an increasingly small number of properties. And rentals go up. Oh, yes. Okay. So for that first-time buyer, you're saying don't panic. Are you really saying that it's still not the worst time to buy your first house. I'm saying it's not the worst time to buy your first house because what's your alternative? Because if you're living at home and that's all fabulous and your parents are delighted to have you living with them forevermore, then stay at home for a bit longer. If prices aren't going up, there's no hurry. Find the right property, possibly wait till rates kind of stabilise. If you're in rented and your rent's about to jump up by £700 a month, will a mortgage cost you more than that? And also, of course, a mortgage, even though it does go up, is probably going to be more stable. And most people take a fixed rate for a few years. Okay, so so financially, relatively speaking, you're saying that it may not be as big a hit as is being reported. But in terms of actually getting that first mortgage, in terms of the, the, the banks and the lenders actually giving you the money, has that uh, resulted in a squeeze? It has squeezed, but it's squeezed possibly logically. Okay, so no one wants a bank or a building site to tell us how much we should be spending. However, the fact of the matter is, gas has gone up, electricity has gone up, your your weekly food shop has gone up, putting petrol or diesel in your car has gone up. So everything's gone up. So lenders are now reflecting those changes in how much they'll lend. Now, also, they're being logical about it. So if somebody earns £30,000 a year and say in in old money, they borrow five times of income, so 150,000, their mortgage payment going up by 50 pounds a month, plus their gas going up by 100, plus their electricity going up by 100, plus their petrol going up by 50, plus their food going up by 100, that might cause real problems because actually their disposable income's fairly modest and it's basically gone. Someone earning 200,000 pounds a year can more easily cope with those changes. So what they've basically done with affordability is they've updated what they call ONS figures, which effectively the Office of National Statistics who estimate how much people spend on stuff and that is how they're lending. And therefore, they're not going to lend to people on 30 grand a year. They won't lend them as much. So the old the old money version of, oh, we can borrow four times, five times your salary has probably gone. It probably means that somebody on a lower income, you'll need to go through an affordability calculation. Um, you know, you can do that online with some lenders, go and talk to an independent broker, they'll do it for you. But do an affordability calculation, but we'll find out that, let's say, a young couple on a household income of £50,000 with three children will borrow an awful lot less than a single person on an income of £50,000 without kids. Which is a real problem because if you say an average income is, say, £30,000 per person, an average house costs £280,000, £290,000, £300,000, 
you've got to go some to borrow that money to buy that house. And that's a problem. So what we're seeing as a result is a lot more intergenerational help. So we've seen a real rise in equity release mortgages. I think the figures came out yesterday or the day before, highest ever lending. And I would bet an awful lot of that is people giving money to children or grandchildren to get them on the ladder. Taking money out of the equity in their house to actually pass it down the chain. Yeah, we, we covered this last time we spoke, but, you know, jam today or jam tomorrow. Would you rather your children bought a house today or would you rather they had a larger inheritance in 30 years time? So I sense that for first time buyers, without meaning to um, diminish the stress, they're not the ones most affected here. It may be trickier to borrow, they may borrow less, but they're not the ones who necessarily need to panic right now. No, and also, of course, you know, what's happened in the past to a first time buyer is hypothetical. What they're dealing with is a here and now. So the cost of a mortgage now, the amount they can borrow now, that's what's important. They haven't got history to look back on and make them depressed. Although that is part of the problem is is reframing what you think you can do because we've had 15 years of a of a certain of a certain path and now that path has gone. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, we, we heard it before, new normal. That's probably what we're looking at. Unprecedented. <laughs> Rate Expectations, the personal finance podcast is brought to you by JLM Mortgages, leaders in independent mortgage advice. For more information, head over to jlmmortgages.co.uk or call 01462 455 655. Someone with an existing mortgage, which is due up soon. Right, okay, there's a lots of people. Oh, thanks, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> not really what I was hoping to hear today. Um, so, uh, something like five million people next year, their two or five year mortgage is up. What are we? They, us, me, going to do. So I think there's two things to say. So number one, remember most of those people, not all have repayment mortgages, okay? So what's been very interesting to me and a lot of the other people who work for us have reported back saying that people have come in panicked, terribly panicked. You know, am I going to be able to afford this? I'm used to paying £1,800 a month. Does this now mean it's going to be 4000 I can't afford that. And what they're doing is they're leaving saying, well, I was paying 1800 a month. Now it's 2100 That's not great. I won't be able to, you know, go out for that meal once once a week that I used to do. Or maybe that's my second holiday down there. Three and a half grand a year. Yeah. But, you know, it's I can make a lifestyle change to accommodate it. So for those people, it's bad. But because they've heard such massively negative sentiment in the newspapers, on the news, in, you know, all, all sorts of media, it's not as bad as they thought. So right now, remortgaging someone coming to you, say on a two year, because I'm guessing you'll say only take two years and don't fix for five. Am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah, it depends. But yes, possibly. Okay, what are they looking at? Right. So the first thing we've seen is a huge rise. Yeah, huge rise in people taking tracker mortgages. So at the moment, you can get a two year tracker and your pay rate will be three, three and a half percent. We know that's probably going to go up because we think the base rate is going to go up next week. But Bank of England have said two or three times over the last week, ah, oh, we may not have to put the base rate up as much as we thought we would. Okay. Now, if you look at a 3.25, let's say, tracker rate compared to, say, a 5.85 fixed rate, and that's probably a five year fixed rate, a two year fixed rate might be six and a bit percent, then suddenly there's quite a big gulf between those two. So then the question is, What's your budget looking like? Is there any spare room in it? Because if you go for a tracker, you've got to be prepared for the fact that it's likely your monthly payments will change and they'll probably get worse, not better. They will change. We know that. Yeah. 
So consequently, but the question is, if I take a two-year tracker deal, some of them don't have any early repayment charges. So people are kind of treating them as a way of kicking the can down the road. So look, I'm going from 2.5% to 3.5%. It might be 4.5% in a week or two, but it's not 6% and I can come out of it at any point I want. If it goes to 6%, I can walk. I can walk. Likewise, if actually things calm down and, you know, the newer, the new political elite to do the job they're meant to be doing and the world calms down a bit and the future's so bright, I've got to wear shades, as I think the song went many years ago, then consequently, you can then jump ship onto a fixed rate when fixed rate pricing is better. Or you can sell, you know, you can mess about with it. You have options. Whereas if you buy yourself into a a five, 5.8, 6% five-year fixed rate, you're tied in for five years at a very high rate. But this is the big shift, isn't it, Rory? Because we've grown used to a level of stability and security in our mortgages. Uh, I was tied in for five years. That was the right decision. I have, I have no doubt about it. What you're looking at now is a period of having to keep a very, very close eye on the markets. If you're recommending people take tracker mortgages, every news headline is going to be stressful. Every time the Bank of England speak, it's going to be stressful. Every move is going to feel stressful. It's a very different process, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I'm, we're still saying, you know, if your budget is fixed, if your new payment represents every single penny you can possibly get together and that's it, done, dusted, you know, not sixpence left after it, take a fixed rate. You still should because it's about ensuring you stay in your house. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is people changing mortgage terms. So somebody comes in and says, hi, Rory, I've got 20 years left on my mortgage. I'm currently aged 38. Um, I was going to pay it off when I was 58. Let's go. Um, we say, okay, well, what can you afford? Uh, that's too much. We'll consider maybe stretching the terms. So on a repayment mortgage, you can stretch that capital out over a longer period of time and it reduces the payment. So possibly take a 30 or a 35 year interest rate, a fix, sorry, 35 year mortgage maybe a two or a five year fixed rate. Yes, ideally you wouldn't do that because you're going to pay back more interest overall. But if it keeps you in your house, keeps you safe, it's a good idea. And the house is still gaining equity, it's still gaining value. One lives in hope. <laughs> one lives in hope. How are the lenders responding to this situation? Because a lot of people listening to this must be thinking, what do I do if I really can't afford my new mortgage? At that point, is that game over? Not necessarily. So I think there's two or three things to say. So the first thing to say is lenders have been pushing very hard for people to stay with them and just do a product switch. And you can do that directly with a lender or via a broker. Okay. Um, however, product switches, the legislation currently doesn't allow you to make any change whatsoever to your mortgage for it to count as a product switch. So you can't stretch out a term, you can't move to interest only, you can't do X, Y, and Z. Whether they will change that or not, I don't know. But what we're seeing is many people coming in four or five months before their mortgage is due and saying, actually, why don't I consider a remortgage? If I change lender, I can make whatever changes I want because they're doing a full assessment on me, whereas a product switch is very simply, you know, a mouse click, here's your new deal. And then that way we, we get the advantage of being able to relook at everything and say, well, how do we move about stuff. Now, if you get to a point where you quite simply can't afford your mortgage anymore, you've got two choices. The most sensible one is to speak to your lender because your existing lender, may, you can still do a product switch. 
regardless of affordability and also your existing lender might offer for example for you to move on to interest only or to offer you a mortgage payment holiday for a few months or to you know um, allow you to make reduced payments for a while because they because lenders at the end of the day they don't want to repossess people it's really bad business for them it's expensive it's terrible pr and they generally don't benefit from it and it's what happened 25, 30 years ago, it was a very bad look. People lost their houses. Yeah. Many thousands of people lost their houses. But then bear in mind, we were talking at that point in time about an interest rate of 15% to not of 5 So, you know, the situation now isn't good, but 15 years ago, or, or in fact, when we were talking, we were probably talking late 80s, early 90s, we had people, many, many, many people had interest-only mortgages. The interest rates are impacted on them much, much, much more badly. And secondly, many, many people were paying 15, 14, 15, 16%, whereas now we're talking about 4, 5 or 6%. So for someone with an existing mortgage that's due up soon, speak to your lender and or your mortgage advisor. Consider changing the type of product. So perhaps go towards a tracker mortgage rather than a fixed mortgage. Don't tie yourself in for five years. And I just feel flippant if I, if I repeat your advice, don't panic. But it is the point that you're making there that you've got the house, there is equity in the house, um, just keep your feet on the ground when making this decision, which is, it is going to be painful for everyone. I don't know how I'm going to, you know, manage finances next year with my uh, energy bills and, and, and changing mortgage. But are you really saying now is the time to try, if at all possible, to, to be quite cold-blooded? I, th- I think it is. And I think the, the most important thing to do is to say, start researching early. If you change lender, you can start the process six months before your deal is up. Now, that has been very appealing, perhaps less so now we've started seeing rates coming down marginally. However, start the process early. Speak to your existing lender. Go and speak to an independent broker. Have a think about what you do. Do you go for a tracker? Do you have spare money in your budget? If you don't have spare money in your budget, don't go for a tracker because you probably can't afford to take take the punt, for want of a better phrase. So you really need to consider it carefully. But what you do have is time. So start looking at six months before. So then that way you can get everything lined up and find the best deal you possibly can early on. But you will say here and now on this podcast, you will die on a hill saying that fundamentally lenders don't want to kick you out of your house. Fundamentally. Absolutely they don't. Also, what we've got to bear in mind is lenders, as I said earlier, really wanted to finish lending in July of this year. So next year is a new target year. Every calendar year is a new year for a lending target. So what we, why have we seen rates starting to come down? A bit of stability maybe in government, but more to the point is lenders are now thinking about their 2023 target and they're going to have to reduce rates to do that. I've been told by one lender kind of under the, you know, sort of quiet voice under the table type thing that they could reduce their rates by 50% and still make profit. So what that's saying to me is it, the main issue we've got at the moment is about the lender's appetite to lend. Or to phrase it differently, profiteering? Ah, oh, well, they, I mean, lenders are there to make a profit, right? And at the moment, there's no legislation, my understanding is, no legislation as to what makes for a fair profit. In the same sort of way as we've seen uh, crude oil prices drop like a stone over most of this year, yet the uh, the fuel going into your tank's gone down by a few pence a litre. That doesn't quite match up, does and, it? And this is where we could veer into very political territory and societal territory around who's profiting from the current situation yes. and who is losing out. I think you know what side of the fence I sit <laughs> on on that, and that's a discussion when we open a, a, a cheap bottle of wine rather, yes. than, rather than for this podcast. So for someone on an existing mortgage, 
is due up soon. Uh, look at the options, potentially look at a tracker. Um, your home is, of course, at risk, but there is not a voracious appetite to kick you out at this point. Absolutely not. Lenders will do everything they can. And bear in mind, there's lots of other people in the same boat. The last thing a lender wants is to suddenly start repossessing thousands and thousands of people because actually then their security becomes increasingly worthless. So actually lenders are very much in a place where they want to support those people. But as I said, the main thing is don't stick your head in the sand, start investigating six months early. That is a really important piece of advice. Um, someone with an existing mortgage, which is not due up for a while, is this the easy one? Do you just, just enjoy it. Yeah. Sit back, enjoy. I mean, rates are beginning to reduce marginally. Lender choice should be better next year than it is at the moment. So if you've got a deal that's due up in December 2023, yes, absolutely. Start hunting around in May, June 2023. But until then, just enjoy the fact you've got a really good rate because we're not likely to see rates at this level ever again or certainly for the next few years you know the concept of a one or two percent interest rate is going to be a thing of distant uh, fond memory i'm afraid now for the 64 billion dollar question or that was the amount of money that the, <laughs> see what i did that the bank of england pumped into the uh, the system to protect uh, pensions there was yeah. some word that day i think it was a monday maybe wrong that there was going to be a run on pensions uh, people's security people's sense of uh, 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 of their future could have disappeared that day. If you hold a pension, particularly if you hold a pension that involves investments, how worried should you be today? Well, interestingly, it's actually the other question. So the actual question is, what do guilt rates underpin? Guilt rates underpin final salary pensions. Why do the government care so much about final salary pensions? Because the Pension Protection Fund, after the Maxwell scandal, has to take over any final salary pension that hasn't got enough money in it and pay out 90% of what the person was meant to get. And that's government money? Government money. Oh, okay. Well, taxpayers' money in a sense, but government money. So generally speaking, the issues that we had a couple of weeks ago were mainly about final salary pensions, which the government guarantees anyway. So the government was taking very significant action for, to protect something that it otherwise has to guarantee. So for you and I with investment-backed pensions, because most people who don't have final salary pensions I don't. <laughs> have got a personal pension, um, a personal pension or what they call a money purchase pension or even a defined contribution pension, all the same thing. Um, they go up and down as the stock market goes up and down. So they probably had a pretty awful year this year, gone down a few percent. But, you know, companies companies cope with things like inflation all they do is put their prices up so generally speaking the man in the street will lose out because they'll have to pay more for their you know tin of beans but the big companies who your pension funds invested in will do well so this whole issue was not around invested money in pensions not really i mean th that was definitely the spin that was given but actually what we were probably doing and who's got who has the biggest stake in final salary pensions the government, because that's your people or the lucky people who got in early enough into the NHS, the police force, the fire service. You were going to say the BBC? Wouldn't dare. <laughs> but the BBC is also one. So pensions, I feel like I'm repeating. I feel like you've you've spooked me here. You've 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 got me into your mantra of don't panic, which of course is of benefit to you. But you're saying again with pensions, don't don't panic. Don't pa I mean, the fact of the matter is, okay. The government are guaranteeing your pension anyway, and therefore there is a lot of self-interest in them propping them up. 
right, of those type of pensions. The other type of pensions are investment-backed pensions, uh, stocks and shares effectively, and they had a far worse time in COVID than they've had over the last few weeks, okay? So so that's one thing. The other interesting thing about COVID is they, re- they recovered fully within a few months. Whether that will happen this time, I slightly doubt. But I think most people think that you know, the value of investments, the value of their stocks and shares, their unit trust, their personal pensions are kind of about as low as they're going to go and probably bump around the bottom for a while, but it's probably not going to get much worse. Are you still encouraging people to invest even today? Yeah, absolutely. Buy when the market, you know, um, buy when the market's cheap, right? Buy when others are selling. This is the time to get in. The market, if anything, is probably slightly undervalued because... As I said earlier, if I go into my big local supermarket and they're they're there, you know, the buyers are there rubbing their hands, saying, Oh no, we were buying beans at 17 pence and suddenly with transport costs are costing us 25 pence, and we used to sell them for 50 and make 33p, but now we're hardly making any profit. What do they do? They put the price of a tin of beans. And there's probably a six-month lag for that to work. But then after six months, and they won't put them up by exactly what they're losing. They'll think, let's round up to the nearest 5p or 99p or something. So actually, they're going to make more profit due to inflation than they were before. And so to savers, rates are on the up. I haven't got much right in this podcast so far. Is it a good time to put some money to one side in an ISA or similar product? Yes. (laughs) Really straightforward answer. Yeah. I mean, I was looking yesterday at fixed interest savings accounts, there's ones at nearly 4% if you're willing to tie your money up for a couple of years. What kind of people are offering that? Oh, um, lots. Um, Lots and lots. So I think um, TSB were offering quite a good rate, Santander, um, quite a lot of the online only people like State Bank of India and things. Um, But, you know, there's lots and lots of places where you can have a look at what rates about money saving expert, that kind of thing. So if someone comes into an inheritance and I don't know, they, they come in to say fifty grand, right now they could just put that in a simple account and, and, and take two grand a year off it. Yeah, they could. However, do bear in mind that if inflation is ten percent, in real terms they've just lost five grand. So net they're three thousand pounds down. Explain that. If you think what inflation means, inflation very simply is what value, what your money can buy you. So when inflation is 10%, the idea being that £50,000 today in one year's time will only buy you £45,000 worth of stuff. So to put it another way, you've you've lost 5,000 quid of your £50,000 in value terms. And that is why people are still thinking, look, I can get a brilliant savings account rate. And actually, if I need that money and I need it to be safe and I need it accessible and I need a guaranteed rate, that's the right way to go. However, If I want to actually beat inflation, I probably need to do something with stock market exposure because even though it's likely to be very volatile, I'm not going to get 10% anywhere else. But more risk. Oh, yes. I'm a bit surprised by this podcast because, well, I shouldn't be surprised that you're bullish. You're, 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 You're naturally optimistic, Rory. But you have been very bullish here and it does go against the narrative. Look, we, we can't deny that even an extra pound a month on any cost right now it could be crippling. I, I look at myself, you know, I, I, I don't have any fat on that bone. Um, the thought of, you know, an extra hundred pound a month in energy is stressful for anybody. Um, I appreciate what you're saying that relatively speaking, some people may be able to absorb that two or three hundred pound a month on the mortgage because they're keeping 
keeping the house and they will sacrifice elsewhere. But you are sounding quite quite bullish. Is that just because you've been doing this for 30 years and you kind of have a, a long-term view? I think it is to an extent. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that obviously none of this is good. No one's gas bill going up. No one's mortgage going up. No one's electricity bill going up. No one's food shop going up. Now, if I have to rank them in terms of what probably is the biggest increase, for many people, it might be mortgage. So I think if I was if I was in government, the first thing I would say is, does government need to talk to mortgage lenders about pricing? Because some of this does look like they're thinking, oh, lovely, let's make whatever we can. OK, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of ethical sort of take on it. S- lenders fund each other in different ways. So some lenders lend out their own savers money, building societies, for example. Some lenders buy it in the money markets. Some lenders get it from third parties. You know, it's a real mishmash. And the difficulty is that if one lender gets cheap money, they can't lend it out cheaply because they're going to be swamped and they don't have the capacity to deal with it. So that sounds to me like it's something that c- should be done from a regulatory perspective. Um, I think lenders absolutely 100% desperately do not want to repossess people. So what you need to do if you are having problems, speak to citizens' advice. They're always really good. But most importantly, speak to your lender. Put it in writing. Put it in emails. Get responses. You know, keep it somewhere. Because what they want to know is that you're not sticking your head in the sand and ignoring the issue. And as long as you're not, don't get me wrong, you know, they're not going to be pleased with you, but you'll be a lot better off than people who are ignoring them. But either way, we are all facing considerably more anxiety, having to keep a much closer eye on the news, having to keep a much closer eye on the markets. This is not a good time ahead. It's not a good time ahead. But I think we've been there before. You know, there's there's many periods over the last 50 years where people spent 40% of their income on housing. And we're just going into one of those cycles again. The issue we've got, I suppose, is we've had a good decade or two of having quite a nice lifestyle alongside it. And, you know, that's a hard thing to give up, isn't it? Very quick last question that we haven't touched on. Um, If you decide you can't afford your mortgage and you decide to sell and your house has done quite well, let's say it's got two, three hundred thousand pounds and it may be a touch more is actually now a really good time to to cash in. I mean, yes, in terms of it not being a lot on the market, the difficulty, and also, yes, if we think prices aren't going to change much over the next two or three years, then again, being out of the market isn't such a disastrous thing. And don't forget, you don't pay any capital gains tax on your own main residence. So if you bought it for 150, sell it for 500, you can put that 350,000 minus fees in your pocket and enjoy it. The difficulty is what you're going to, where you're going to live next. And as long as you've got somewhere to move to, whether it's rented, in with a partner, parents, whatever it may be, then yes, absolutely, it probably isn't a bad time to do that. But do bear in mind, getting back on the market is always going to be harder than it was getting off it. It's been very interesting, uh, surprising in some elements, uh, others as expected. You're always quite mitigated in in suggesting people come to you because you know you have a, a wider view of the market. But I'm kind of setting you up with an open goal here. Now is the time to to get good advice, isn't it, Rory? I, I look, I know you. I go back a long way with you. I, I wouldn't be looking at what to do with my mortgage without going to an independent financial advisor. That, that's just my personal view. I, I think it's more important than ever. And I think the other thing to say is we are in worrying times. So it's probably a good time to think about your wider financial life. Do I have enough life insurance? Do I have income protections? My home insurance? You know, let's take 
stock because I think we need to have a look at our finances in much more detail perhaps than we've been used to doing because it's just been a casual when it goes out of the bank every month. It matters. Let's do it. Let's make sure we've got it all nailed down properly. And absolutely, this is a time for advice and there's a time for early advice as well because the more time you've got to prepare for what you're going to do, you know, let's say your mortgage payment is going to go at £400 as a guest as of December next year. Well, we could arrange for you to start in having a standing order that goes up £100 every quarter. So by the end of the year, you're used to paying that extra payment and it won't be such a shock to the system and you will have paid a bit extra off your mortgage. You know, it, it's important to plan these things because what the shock is what kills you, okay? The higher payment may kill you, but it's less likely to. It's the shock that gets you. To come and find you, where do we do that? Uh, so it's JLM Mortgages or JLM Wealth Management, uh, 21 Churchyard in Hitchin, or find us on the web, jlmmortgages.co.uk. Really interesting as always, Rory. I, I do actually feel a bit reassured. Um, you, well, you know my personal situation. I, I've, I've articulated it in this podcast. I, I do feel that I need to go and be grown up about this and think carefully about the situation and and really confront it early rather than um, uh, burying my head in the sand and worrying about it next, I think, June or July for me. Um, I think that's that'll be my take out from this. My takeaway from this is is you've got to really face uh, front on what's going on. Yeah, and and. Yeah, as, as you say, Nick, get on it early. Six months before your deal, I would say, maybe even seven. Mortgage offers last for six months. The other thing I have got people doing is applying for remortgages, getting the rate nailed down, getting an offer out, and then deciding whether they want to take it or not nearer to the time. Because bear in mind that normally a remortgage costs you literally zero up front. Yeah, six months in advance. If you actually responded to my text messages or my phone calls, I would do that. <laughs> I, 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 I have to go in six months in advance just to just to get a reply. Uh, Rory, appreciate your time. Uh, very, very interesting. Don't forget to uh, follow this podcast, however you're listening to it, be it on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or ACAST, wherever you're getting this. Uh, there will be more episodes. Um, the, the market and the world is changing very quickly and we intend to uh, we intend to reflect that in upcoming podcasts. But for now, uh, from me and Rory, it's goodbye. Bye-bye.